Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figi Wati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, a governorship election in six Nigerian states declared inconclusive. And Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta, meets his French counterpart, Emmanuel Macron, in Nairobi. In economics news, China considers cancelling or rescheduling Congolese debt deal. And in sports news, Sadio Mane scored twice to steer Liverpool into the Champions League quarterfinals. But first up, the news with Anne A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. At least 25 children have been rescued from the rubble of a collapsed building in Lagos, Nigeria. Governor Akin Akinwinwi Ambode says eight children are among the 10 people confirmed dead. They were among the 42 people pulled from the debris so far. The three-story building housed a school on the top floor, business and apartments. It's not known how many children were at the primary school at the time of the collapse. President Mohamedou Buhari has offered his condolences to the families of the victims. One of the worst tropical cyclones in a decade called Idaya is expected to make landfall in the northern and central parts of Mozambique later in the day or Friday. The South African Weather Service predicts that the cyclone could intensify this evening, affecting many parts of Beira, one of the largest, the second largest cities in Mozambique, as well as other parts in Zambezia province. More than 100 people have been killed in Mozambique and Malawi after heavy rains, with thousands more affected. The United Nations is appealing for emergency aid, Jonathan Lungu reports. Despite Mozambique's social challenges, they are yet to face the unstoppable cyclone Idai. Heavy rainfall and gusting winds estimated close to more than 200 kilometers per hour is expected to batter Mozambique's central coastal line and inland. According to Mozambique's National Institute of Disaster Management, life-threatening storms and flooding could pose danger to many communities living on the coastal areas. So far, evacuation warnings have been issued for people residing in the low-lying areas. Heavy rains, which started earlier this week, have already claimed lives and left thousands of people homeless in the southern part of Malawi, bordering Mozambique. Guinea-Bissau's ruling PAIGC party has won parliamentary elections but is short of an absolute majority. The party has now made a deal with smaller groups to forge a coalition. PAIGC won 47 seats out of the 102 and made a deal with smaller groups with the further seven seats. PAIGC, the African Party for the Independence of Guinea and Cape Verde, has run the country for 45 years since independence from Portugal. Sunday's vote aimed to settle a deadlock that has lasted nearly four years since President José Mario Vaz sacked his Prime Minister Domingo Simos Pereira. 
The Botswana High Court will this morning hear a case challenging the criminalization of gay sex. The country's penal code outlaws gay sex and those convicted face jail sentences of up to seven years in jail. A gay man whose name has not been disclosed filed the case in May last year. He will argue that the criminalization of same-sex activity limits the ability of LGBT people to access basic social services, increases risks of discrimination and infringes on their basic human dignity. And finally, meanwhile, police in Brazil have dismantled a human trafficking ring that targeted transgender women by offering to cover the cost of surgery, then forcing them into prostitution to pay for it. At least 38 transgender women were found in brothels around Sao Paulo, the BBC's Cathy Watson reports. Prosecutors said this was a classic case of modern slavery. Traffickers lured the victims to Hiberang Preto with the promise of paying for surgery. Instead, they were forced into selling sex to pay for the illegal operations and to pay back the debts for their journey. Five people have been arrested in connection with so-called Operation Cinderella, and police are searching for four others. They're also investigating the deaths of two transgender women, one of whom is thought to have been murdered for not paying back debts. Another died after botched cosmetic surgery. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission says the outcome of governorship polls in six states was inconclusive, sparking opposition fury and raising the prospect of reruns and legal action. It said violence and other irregularities had prompted voting last Saturday to be cancelled in some areas of Kano and Sokoto in the northwest, Bauchi and Adamawa in the northeast, and the central states of Benui and Plateau. Channel Africa news correspondent Colin Zatohengbe reports. Because the margin of lead is not in excess of the total number of registered voters, I declare this election inconclusive. That was INEX Kiari Mohammed, the returning officer for Bauchi State, one of the six states where the governorship and houses of assembly elections may have to be repeated or things being equal. But that development left a lot of people, particularly the aggrieved political parties, agitated. The common situation in all the cases is that the affected states were seen to be places where the opposition was leading. And in one or two cases, the ruling party had no candidate in the elections, like in river states. Abraham Yetiap, the chairman of the media committee of the People's Democratic Party in Plateau State, says he took his party a lot of work to mobilize the people whose efforts have now been declared inconclusive. But his counterpart, the Plateau State Commissioner for Information, Yakub Dati, sent out a plea to the electorate not to give up, but to see it as a situation as stated by electoral laws. We are not happy about that because everybody knows the efforts that we have put into this process to get our people enlightened, to get them very organized. Well, we wish to use this opportunity to call on the good people of Plateau State to remain calm, peaceful and law-abiding, uh, that the Independent National Electoral Commission acted within the powers they have, or they exercise their power as contained in the electoral law. Where does the Electoral Commission draw its strength from to have been able to declare an election inconclusive? Professor Richard Camber, returning officer for Plateau State, while declaring the state's election inconclusive, read out the provision of the electoral law 
which authorized such action. Along with the provisions of section 179.2 to 5 of the 1999 constitution as amended, I'm constrained to say that the election to the governor of Plateau State is inconclusive. What followed the elections left some people wounded while whole committees were ransacked by men in military uniform leading to the cancellation of reports. In one instance, a traditional ruler's palace the, in Okrika, local government area of River State, Ateke Michael Tom, had his palace invaded. And the woman took to the streets declaring that the Federal Minister for Transport, Rutimi Amaichi, is hand in gloves with the military. The chief of staff of the traditional ruler, Johnson Adoke, Ibitembo narrated what happened to journalists. Soldiers and uh, police invaded uh, our royal palace, destroyed and cut away many things. That was not enough. They also went to the estate of His Royal Majesty and uh, shot guns and killed one John Obu and also made some arrests to the Boric army camp. We, the people of uh, Okotri Kingdom, are not happy over this issue. We asked ourselves questions. Can they do this to the Emir of Kano, to the Emir of Sokoto, to the Emir of Zamfara, to the Emirs in the north? We, the Okotri Kingdom, will not accept this anymore. Yes. If it is politically motivated, our king is not a politician. All the candidates are contesting elections and all the parties came to visit him. And he gave them his blessings. Why this? A nagging question indeed to which only the men in uniform and their sponsors can provide answers. But even after that, the collision center was besieged by same men sporting army, air force and police uniforms. They disrupted the collision of resort for over 24 hours after elections. This may have contributed to the stalemate which left the elections inconclusive. The head of voters' education at the INEC office in River State, Edwin Enalor, told journalists that the invaders constrained staff and workers at the collation center. Throughout the elections, we had um, so many reports of insecurity, molestation, harassment, uh, assault on our staff, and uh, disruption of the uh, electoral process throughout the state. The office is under siege by men in uh, military uniform, uh, army uniform, uniforms of the Air Force and the police who have uh, taken over the INEC uh, office and they are stopping and screening people and clearing results before they enter the office. We don't understand where the people are deployed from. A lawyer and political analyst, Michael Utsaha, Going through the trails of inconclusive in Nigeria's election says the world may not be as important as the happenings that could lead to such declaration. By the way, you're not likely to find in the Constitution or in the Electoral Act or even in the guidelines itself the expression inconclusive. It lists a number of situations would be because someone snatched results and tore them completely or some voters have refused the use of a smart card reader machine or a smart card reader machine has failed. I think the question is the situations in the six states have to be placed side by side with the provisions of guideline number 47 of the guidelines of INEC for, for the 2019 general elections and we must then see whether these situations meet up with the requirements of guideline number 47.
The guideline also says that repeat election will have to be conducted in the affected constituencies and result can only be made public by the elections umpire on whose shoulder the balance now hangs delicately. Until that is done and it is satisfied conclusive, Professor Mahmoud will need more prayers to be able to understand the mood of voters so as to avoid any further case of inconclusiveness. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. French President Emmanuel Macron is in Kenya on the last leg of his three-nation African tour. In Kenya, Macron will seek to increase French investments in East Africa's biggest economy. He will also continue to put pressure on the international community to reverse global warming when he addresses this year's One Planet Summit in Nairobi. He began his trip in the former French colony Djibouti on Tuesday and then went to Ethiopia, one of Africa's fastest-growing economies. Sarah Kimani reports. It is the first visit to Kenya by a sitting French president. Here, in East Africa's biggest economy, Macron chose business as a French way of asserting its influence. From infrastructure development to manufacturing, Macron announced a new partnership with Kenya. Um, What we want to do is to be part of uh, your new growth agenda. So we've just signed a series of agreements and we will sign tomorrow morning a series of uh, new agreements in order to develop public and private partnerships and in order to uh, precisely develop new infrastructure projects and very concrete projects to be part of the development of your country and in order to have a sustainable financing of such um, concrete projects. French car manufacturer Peugeot announced plans to boost its vehicle assembly in Kenya. Kenya's president, Uhuru Kenyatta. That by the end of this year, the PSA group expects to assemble at least 1,000 vehicles in Kenya up from the current 480, and this is no doubt very good news for our industry. We are also encouraged to note that with this, when the assembly plant is fully operational, the group hopes to assemble at least 15,000 vehicles annually in Kenya for both local and regional markets. While the U.S. military plans to reduce anti-terrorism personnel on the continent, Macron, who met African Union Commission's chairperson, Musa Faki Mahamat, in Ethiopia, announced that he will support East African region's anti-terrorism efforts. We work very well together on the situation, but we want to improve the cooperation in the region from a security and defense point of view. At the start of his visit to Africa, President Macron warned of risk to the continent's sovereignty due to China's increased economic influence. His visit will be seen as a way of trying to counter that influence. On Thursday, he will address the One Planet Summit on the sidelines of the United Nations Environment Assembly, UNEA, a summit which seeks to reverse the effects of climate change. Sarah Kimani, Kenya. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. 
South African opposition parties have expressed confidence in the candidates they submitted to the Independent Electoral Commission. They say the candidates have integrity and have no criminal records. The candidates will be deployed to Parliament on the basis of proportional representation. This means that a party with a bigger slice of the vote has a better chance of getting its members into Parliament. The IEC closed the process at 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Mbali Tetani reports. The DA says its list is proof of its Congress resolutions to see diversity. The party's Mike Moriarty. And you will see in terms of um, what comes through, a whole diverse range of people, whether they be young or old, um, white, black, colored Indian, uh, whether they come from uh, um, a strong academic background or relatively humble backgrounds, uh, rich or poor. So we embrace the full diversity of our country and we're very excited with what we've done. Moriarty says the party ran an intricate internal process of selecting candidates and are satisfied with the outcome. Individuals had to go through screening and then there was what we call the electoral college where they go for shortlisting after having presented themselves for interviews and being asked questions. And then uh, finally there's the selection panel and the review by the relevant executives. And all of that has now happened. Uh, There was also an opportunity for any candidate who felt that they weren't uh, properly um, handled through the process, i.e. maybe there was some uh, um, notice that they didn't get or maybe the way that the interview was conducted, there was an opportunity to appeal and that has been concluded as well. The EFF also submitted its list, saying the party's list includes a gender and skills balance. EFF National Chairperson Dalim Bofu. There was a democratic process. All of us, from the president of the EFF right down to uh, a regional leader, were subjected to a democratic process, secret ballot. And uh, that process then determined uh, how the list was going to be shaped. And then uh, it was sent to our list uh, committee. Obviously, the list has got um, uh, 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 gender balance, and uh, as we did uh, even previously, you Bofu says the EFF has also included its ground forces onto the list, who have managed to obtain the skills and experience needed over the past six years. But the most important thing for us is that the list is made up of uh, our activists on the ground. As a, again, we have an experience we didn't have in 2014. Now we've been in existence for six years. And therefore, there are people who have, who have been tried and tested on the ground who have uh, shown their leadership skills in various uh, areas, uh, unlike the, the past where we just had to basically hope we did not even know each other that well, uh, having been such a young party. So there's no doubt that uh, this list is uh, miles ahead qualitatively and otherwise from, from what we have heard before. The IFP, on the other hand, submitted its list yesterday contesting all provinces except in the Northern Cape. The party's deputy chairperson, Albert Mwango, says in its list it wanted to see youth, skills and geographical spread. I'm happy to say that the IFP, uh, to some extent, really did achieve our objectives in terms of ensuring uh, youth representativity in all our lists and also ensuring that women are also represented. We did not only achieve 40%, but we went even more than that, because if I'm not mistaken, we are, it's almost 48% representation of women on our list. Nwango says the process of selecting the names was smooth and peaceful for the party. 
the process was actually very peaceful, was very orderly, and it was transparent and democratic, and uh, that is why we actually did not have any issues uh, during the process of uh, candidate nomination. And I, I, I would like to thank our party structures. And now we are ready to, to, to hit the road running in terms of our campaign now that the issue of uh, candidate is behind us now. So we are ready now for the election. The IEC has until the 19th of March to advise parties of any non-compliance in respect of candidate list. Ambali Tetani in Johannesburg. South Africa's Women's Minister in the Presidency, Batabile Lamini, has defended her inclusion on the ruling ANC national list as a reflection of the will of the people. The minister, who is also ANC Women's League president, while speaking exclusively to SABC News on the sidelines of the Commission on the Status of Women in New York, she also endorsed UN officials' calls for women to push back against the pushback they're experiencing in the fight for equality and the call on SADC countries to ensure gender-neutral cabinets post-elections in various jurisdictions later this year. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Glamini finds herself in the top 20 of the ANC's national list, arguing that her inclusion was determined more by the grassroots and less by the stinging constitutional court judgment over her handling of the Sasa debacle last year. What is in the list of the ANC is the will of the people. In the ANC we do not apply to be public representatives. We are elected by the people, and therefore, what is there is the will of the people. Men also continue to populate the top half of the ANC's list, placing them in prime position for a return to Parliament. But Lamini lamented a decision not to adopt an alternate male-female distribution throughout the list. That was meant to keep positions for themselves. Because they know if it's a zebra, they are going to go down. And they know that uh, more women vote for, uh, or during the elections, for all uh, parties. But also they know that uh, it is women that mobilize for the support of uh, different uh, political organizations. We pressed the minister on her comments in 2016 in which she warned against airing the ANC's dirty laundry in public because uh, all of us there in the NEC have our small uh, skeletons. And we that predated the revelations in various inquiries, including state capture, currently underway in the country. Listen. Did you know the extent of what we are seeing in South Africa today? I must be honest, I didn't uh, know. And on a daily basis, I get a shock of my life when these issues come up. But also I get a shock of my life when uh, men want to apply justice through victimizing uh, women. And those uh, are issues that uh, are going to be contested uh, as long as uh, issues are not uh, treated uh, equally. On the Commission on the Status of Women, she agreed with calls from the Secretary-General that women need to keep fighting if the chains of patriarchy are to be successfully severed. The first uh, presentation by the Secretary-General spoke about our preparedness 
to push back against the pushback. Right. Push back against the pushback. Because at all times, patriarchy uh, finds a uh, space to try and uh, endorse what it stands for. And therefore, if uh, women do not want uh, to fight uh, very hard and uh, push back um, the frontiers uh, of war, they are always uh, going to remain uh, oppressed. This year's commission is focused on social protections, access to public services and sustainable infrastructure as avenues through which gender equality and empowerment can be achieved. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. It's 8.24 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The clock's ticking for the world's largest democratic exercise to kick off in less than a month in India. But politicians in the race believe it was match already fixed by the impartial election commission to guarantee a second term for Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his Hindu nationalist BJP party. Rana Sen has more from New Delhi. It will be one of the longest Indian elections spanning 70 days and main opposition Congress party spokesman Adil Bupparai said the Paul watchdog seems to have turned into an agent of the Prime Minister's office. The Election Commission, unfortunately, has become an extension of the PMO. That is why the delay in the announcement of the elections. Perhaps he had to get his go-ahead from Mr. Modi. States like West Bengal, states like Orissa, these are states where the BJP is delusional about making certain inroads and improving its tally. Why is it that the election schedule in all these states has been staggered? Now, we all know that the richest party in the world is going to benefit by the extension of the poll schedule. So these are certain German questions in the election commission of India must answer. And Yogendra Jadav, one of India's wisest political voice, said the marathon balloting could prove injurious to India's political health. Ever since the election commission acquired the kind of stature that it did 1990, 1991 and so on, after that currently the election commission's image election commission's image for autonomy and independence is on the lower ebb. So while in other elections you only watch parties, in this election, election commission itself is being watched. However, analyst Bharat Kumar warned an attack on the election commission could upset India's delicate constitutional autonomy. I don't think we should attribute any type of such motives against the election commission, at least when the elections are around the corner. Election commission does not report to the prime minister in first place. So it has nothing to do with who is the prime minister and which party he belongs to. The election commission is an independent body and it has proven it time and again. We can criticize the decision, but don't attribute any motive to that. But Kashmir's tallest political leader, Farooq Abdullah insisted on an explanation from the agency for holding back voting to the disputed region state assembly. I think election commission must look into this. We had huge floods here in 2014. Did election commission listen to us when we said kindly delay it? We are in terrible distress. They didn't listen then. Who are they trying to fool? Government of India wants to play its own tricks and they will fall with those tricks. They should have held election to the assembly also. To prove everyone wrong, to prove Pakistan wrong, they didn't do that. 900 million Indians are entitled to vote during the seven-phase event, which starts April 11th. Results on May 23rd will uphold or destroy the image 
of one of India's holiest institutions. This is Zaina Sen reporting from New Delhi. Members of South Africa's main opposition party, the DA, have been barred from conducting an oversight inspection at the Chris Hani Barganath Hospital in Soweto on Wednesday. They had intended to engage hospital management of how many illegal foreign nationals are at the facility and how much it costs to treat them. The party says it wanted to test Health Minister Aaron Mutsualedi's statements that foreign nationals were burdening the health system as well as to assess the general condition of the hospital. Wisani Makubele has more. The issue of illegal foreigners is in the spotlight again following recent comments by Gauteng Premier David Makura on how much they are costing the province. Both the health minister and the Gauteng Health MEC have previously lamented the overwhelming numbers of undocumented pregnant women in the maternity wards at various public hospitals. The DA has lamped the Department of Home Affairs for what it terms the failure to control illegal immigration. Shadow Health MEC for Gauteng, Jack Bloom, who accompanied Msimanga to Baragwanath Hospital, was left fuming after being denied access to the facility. I know that people here can wait as long as three years to have a hip operation. The medical negligence claims of the maternity section are sky high, about 22 billion rand liability. And many of them come from this hospital. So what are they hiding? Why is this hospital overburdened? How many foreign patients are there? What is it costing to treat them? Are they attempting to recover money for treating these patients from foreign embassies? The fact of the matter is this hospital is overburdened and they're preventing us today from seeing what the real situation is. Acting Baragwanath Hospital spokesperson Zenzun Dabula, however, denies that they were bad. We received correspondence yesterday and you said, look, in terms of courtesy, our understanding is that politicians will speak to the political head of the Department of Health in the province to be able to get that consent. And we have not yet received that consent really. So they were not bad. As they were here, I did explain to them the processes because we are not in a position really to can flaunt the rules. And the CEO did invite them up, but they said that it was already late for them because they've long been waiting. But they were not bad. However, Solim Simanga was not satisfied with that explanation. He says they'll take the matter up with the relevant authorities. First thing that we will do is to take it to the Integrity Commission, both in Parliament and in the legislature as well. And we are going to make sure that going forward these things are, don't happen. And I think we are going to ask that there be a policy in place that stops these this kind of things from happening. Because right now there's no policy that is barring us from, from going in there. But uh, you know we are being barred from, uh, from doing that. And I think it's, that is something that needs to be now taken very, very seriously. And if people have nothing to hide, then this kind of thing should not be happening. City of Joburg Mayor Hemen Mashaba has also called on the health department to review funding criteria for clinics to include undocumented patients. Mashaba says about 35% of patients treated at their clinics are undocumented. I'm Wisani Makubele in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the governor of Lagos in Nigeria says the school in the building that collapsed in which 10 people were killed was operating illegally. One of the worst tropical cyclones in a decade, Edai, is expected to make landfall in the northern and central parts of Mozambique. And Botswana High Court will this morning hear a case challenging the criminalization of gay sex. Those are the stories making headlines.
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Zimbabwean doctors say patients in the country's biggest state hospital were dying due to lack of medicines and basic supplies brought on by a cash crunch that has crippled the economy. In a rare protest by senior medical staff, dozens of doctors picketed outside Pirerenyatwa Hospital. They say they were only able to treat emergency cases and urged the government to provide the equipment they needed to do their jobs. Simon Machema reports from Harare. A day after senior doctors in Zimbabwe downed tools owing to shortages in general hospitals, a meeting was held on Wednesday where doctors wept. The meeting became so emotional that even the health minister, Dr. Obedaya Moyo, nearly shed tears as doctors narrated how patients were dying in their hands. Challenges in the Zimbabwean general hospitals have been there for ages owing to a collapsed economy. Promises were made to rectify the challenges each time junior and senior doctors took to the streets. The recent strike lasted in January from October last year when hospital doors were shut. Instead of rectifying the challenges in hospitals, government is accused of playing truants at the expense of lives of ordinary people, a top Pediatrician Dr. Aza Mashumba said. Dr. Mashumba was sobbing at the time she presented her grievances. I come to work to certify that body. That's not why I'm here. A mother presents to Buenehanda and listen, I can hear feet or heart. The baby's distressed. We come here to to main theatre. The feet or heart is dwindling, it's going. We get into theatre, I'm ready to feed the baby and I'm going to stop it. There is no urgency. This fire happened on the 2nd of February. They're painting the outside. How is that going to help anybody? There is just no urgency. We are trying so hard. We're making a plan. We're, We're trying to come up with contingency plans. Everything that we're trying to do is futile. We need support. I've cried for nurses. I have nurses that come three days a week and then they're off. Meanwhile, these babies are dying. We've ordered, we've asked for these things, I'm told they're being tended. The tender process is costing lives. They're just dying. Senior doctors in Zimbabwe comprise of surgeons, pediatricians, and many more. These are specialists who do not consult any further as they are relied upon as the most educated and experienced in the medical field. Rarely do these senior doctors strike But on Tuesday, in what is now termed a strike, they stopped working for their grievances to be heard. Dr. David Chimuka, a consultant cardiothoracic surgeon, performed the first heart transplant in the country in 2017, but was among his doctors who were complaining. We are not on strike. We are just complaining about the availability 
of uh, useless equipment and no drugs. Can you imagine yourself getting into a plane where there's no fuel and the captain sits in there? He cannot fly that plane because he cannot go anywhere. It's exactly the same thing here. We are not being provided with what we need to help our own people, our own African people who are suffering. There are so many patients who are being referred throughout the whole country uh, to come here for, for treatment and they're not getting that treatment. In fact, initially, if, as soon as they get into hospital, they are asked to start going to buy drugs, syringes, and things like that from the private companies. And yet we've got a big pharmacy here which can uh, purchase those things for our patients. And therefore, we're just trying to ask uh, the administration at Paraniatwa, uh, the uh, administration in our ministry, to help us uh, have enough equipment and enough drugs to uh, treat our patients. Yes, we all understand that there's a shortage of foreign currency. But there are so many other people acquiring drugs and equipment and they're asking to be paid in RTGS bond. Health Minister Dr. Obedaya Moyo ran short of words after witnessing doctors crying for their patients. Dr. Moyo acknowledged the procurement process in Zimbabwe was stalling production in the health sector. The health minister did not promise anything new but aged managers in the health ministry to pull up their socks. I feel equally emotional about all this. Really, I'm not supposed to be micromanaging. You know, we're supposed to have managers, administrators who are capable. And I also find myself being frustrated sometimes and have to end up doing management work because of lack of response. Yes, the main issue is foreign currency, but there are means and ways in which we can be able to speed up issues. In Arari, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1,000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. The UN Environment Assembly is taking place in the Kenyan capital Nairobi this week with thousands of delegates making proposals and recommendations for protecting the environment. Of course, the future of the planet is in the hands of the young, and so the UN has been looking at how best to encourage young people to learn about environmental messages and their turning to the gaming industry for help. According to their research, more than 2.3 billion people play computer or mobile phone games, and as BBC's Alistair Lathead reports, environmentalists see that as a great opportunity. It's the soundtrack to a generation of gamers who spend more than 150 billion hours a year playing action games like Fortnite or League of Legends. 
dropping into virtual worlds. Gamers fight each other. Dominating. But don't necessarily look after the forests as they build walls and collect treasure. There are 2.3 billion gamers rampaging out there. A captive audience. Unstoppable. It'd be really interesting if games could incorporate rewards not just for conquering your opponent, but what if you got rewarded if you conquered them and you left the environment intact? Incorporating that kind of thinking can help us to begin to put some value on nature. That's Susan Gardner, the director of the Ecosystem Division of UN Environment. Engaging with youth in order to get real concrete action and environment on the, the globe that they're going to inherit um, is absolutely an essential part of everything that we do at the UN Environment. So my name is Jake Mannion, uh, the head of product at Internet of Elephants. Uh, we're just demoing the playable prototype of our augmented reality location-based game which I'm not allowed to say the title of. Because <laughs> you're not launching it for another <laughs> month. Okay, great. So we get a little uh, insight. Yeah. So All right, look. so you've got your phone open. The team of conservationists that you're working with are going to put you on a mission. In augmented reality, or AR, you see the world on your phone as it is, but with a layer of make-believe. Other worlds appear in front of you, even next to a busy road in Nairobi. There's a tree. It's a, there's a couple of... Okay, so suddenly we're surrounded by trees. We're surrounded by virtual holographic trees. Yeah, you can see. You can't, obviously can't see them in real life, but on the phone I can see them. Yeah. This is all about the environment. You're a scientist researching an orangutan in Borneo. And if we look up there... Aha! Okay, and there's your orangutan. The orangutan is up there in a tree, and it's moving around the tree. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now, what we have to do is we are tasked with collecting scientific data on the orangutan first of all it's to bring people closer to animals and habitats um, in a way that they just can't do the lovely thing about augmented reality is that it really does trick your brain into thinking that that thing's happening in front of you you know to to reach these new audiences about conservation and wildlife and the importance of natural habitats and what we're actually scanning there is some poo Okay, great. <laughs> we have found some so orangutan poo. Looking, searching for virtual orangutan poo in Nairobi, great. That's what we were doing. <laughs> it takes the direct approach to inspire a new generation of environmentalists. But subtle hints in blockbuster games can also work if the industry can be persuaded to take note. The UN Environment Assembly does a lot of talking. There are thousands of international delegates here. But young people are playing an increasing role. Hey, I'm Hugh Weldon, Young Champion of the Earth for Europe. I'm co-founder and CTO of Avoco. It's a smartphone app that lets consumers take a photograph of the food shopping receipt and track their climate impact over time. Hugh sees gaming, particularly virtual reality, as a bridge to encourage young people out into nature. But he thinks the UN could do more. We, we want our voice, voices heard. It's not just about gaming as a new channel to reach young people. It's about letting us, I suppose, take ownership of our future, ultimately. The first step is coming and listening to us. And the next is then, I suppose, elevating the status of the youth opinions from being just that opinions to being like the foundation for action and plans. Abari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, Kedu, Mbote, Ndemne, Bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song 
every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Good morning. China is considering cancelling or rescheduling the Republic of Congo's debt deal. This comes as good news for a country with a limping economy that is struggling to recover from the fall in oil prices. The Republic of Congo's government revised a letter from the Chinese government and another from Exim Bank, the main creditor of Congo's debt to China, according to the Chinese ambassador in the country. Beijing holds 35% of Brazzaville's debt. Mobile telecommunications company MTN plans to push ahead with an initial public offering of its Nigeria unit in April or May, once Africa's biggest wireless carrier resolves a $2 billion US dollar tax dispute in the country. Nigeria's Attorney General accused South Africa's company of not paying all its taxes in May last year, and the two sides have yet to reach an agreement. A court hearing on the matter is scheduled in Nigeria's commercial capital Lagos for March the 26th. Rwanda's Ministry of Agriculture and Animal Resources is calling on the private sector to invest in cereal storage and related technology as part of efforts to tackle post-harvest losses. The government says it follows through. Public and private investment crop storage technologies could curb most harvest losses from the current 16 to 5% by 2024. One of the grains of storage technologies is the production of the Purdue Improved Crop Storage Bags that are a simple and cost-effective way of storing grains and seeds without using chemicals or preservatives to control insect pests. Namibia's charcoal industry has the potential to create jobs and contribute to the growth of the economy, thereby alleviating poverty. This according to Trade and Industrialization Minister Chara who says the industry is underestimated. He was speaking at his ministry's strategic workshop where he highlighted that charcoal was a commodity with an international demand which can be equated to the mining of other natural resources. Facebook is currently suffering the most severe outage in its history. With many of its services inaccessible to users across the world, the company says it is trying to resolve the issue. Messenger and Instagram have also been disrupted. The BBC's Dave Lee reports. 
all in all, this is a, an enormous collapse of many, many Facebook services. And um, for some of those looking at this as a wide situation, they're saying this really underlines the amount of internet, if you like, that Facebook is in control of. And so when there is a problem with Facebook, that problem is pretty great. This has been a, a significant day for them, and it's been having a significant impact on, on many, many users all over the world, which is where this is affecting. It's a global problem that Facebook's had. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.77 Nigerian Naira, 10.48 Botswana Pula, 99.52 Kenyan Shilling, and at 11.94 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.81 Brazilian roll, 65.48 Russian ruble, 69.50 Indian rupee, 6.71 Chinese yuan, and at 14.37 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound, 88 cents to the Euro. Gold, $1,303. Platinum, $834 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $67.83 a barrel. Channel Africa, Tabi Solohoko from an African perspective. Our sports updates up next with Figile Lingwati. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. First up, it's a cricket news. Proteas opener Quentin de Gogh passed the halfway century mark for the eighth time in nine innings across all formats to lift South Africa to a comfortable six-wickets victory over Sri Lanka in the fourth one-day international at St. George's Park on Wednesday. The home side chased down their modest target of 190 in 32.5 overs after winning the toss and electing to field, securing a 4-0 lead in the five-match series with the final fixture to be played in Cape Town on Saturday. South Africa may be concerned at their inability to close out the innings, a feature of the cricket in recent times, with the World Cup starting in a few months' time. On to football news, the seating for South African Premiership side Black Leopards chairman David Tidiela's appeal will take place on Friday. Leopards boss was banned by the league from partaking in football for one year following his rent towards referee Victor Shungwani at Toyando Stadium in Limpopo last year following a one-in loss to Bloemfontein Celtic. Tidiela had threatened the experienced match official and told him he will set foot in Venda at his own risk. 
And Sadio Mane scored twice as Liverpool advanced into the Champions League quarterfinals with a 3-1 victory over a toothless Bayern Munich in the second leg of their last 16 tie, following a goalless draw in the first leg at Anfield. Mane put Liverpool ahead with a brilliantly taken goal in the 26th minute at the Allianz Arena. Liverpool coach Jürgen Klopp is excited about the victory. A game like this you can never rest, but the only opportunity you have is to keep the ball and really in, in the right spaces obviously and that we didn't do that in the first half enough but second half we did it brilliantly and um, so it's absolutely I, it's absolutely deserved that's that's um, the major news I would say the main news because um, it's so difficult to, to play here away at Bayern eh? they didn't lose a lot of games in, in the national national nowhere and um, so it's really it's a big one it's a really big one and I'm so proud of the boys how they did it it was a difficult game On to rugby news. The South African rugby side Stormers have made four changes to the team that beat Sharks two weeks ago as they prepare to take on the Jaguarish at Newlands Rugby Stadium tomorrow night. In naming the team, Stormers coach Robbie Fleck has made three changes to the forward pack with Steven Kitchoff, Skaran Dubeni and Joano Augustus included while Dylan Leeds returns in the full back position. It's uh, <clears throat> my pleasure to announce the DHS Stormers to Play against the Jaguars on Friday night. Starting at the back is Dylan Lades, Sergio Peterson, Dan Duplessis, Damien Delende, SP Marie, Jean Luc Duplessis, Herschel Jankies, Jeanro Augustus, Peter Steptatoy, Sir Khaleesi, Captain, JD Schickeling, Evan Etzebeth, Francois Herber, Skara Intabeni, Stephen Kutsoff. On the replacements bench is Bongi Mbanambi, Corne Ferri, Wilkolo, Kubis Visa, Yaku Kutsia, Justin Phillips, Ruan Null, and Damien Willemser. While the Jaguarish pack has struggled in the scrums this season, Fleck says they remain dangerous up front, especially in the lineouts and moles, and he feels he has picked a pack that can be competitive in those areas. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that um, they didn't scrum too badly against the Bulls away, but um, they did struggle a little bit against the Lions. Um, but their line-out you know, prior to last weekend was operating at 98%, so it is has been one of the best performing lineups in the competition. We all saw what their mall was like against uh, the Lions last weekend. So I think that also, you know, I don't, um, you know, I haven't seen their side as of yet, but um, I'm assuming that they're going to put in, you know, uh, most of their test players back into the frame. And uh, that's what we've been planning for. And uh, it looks like they did a bit of rotations last week. So we're expecting a real tough battle up front and um, you know and, and and I guess that we've chosen a, a similar sort of pack to deal with that and we end up with uh, golf news the golf uh, South Africa girls and boys teams strengthened their leading positions with another superb effort in round two of the all Africa junior golf challenge in Botswana the golf South Africa girls team produced an eight under par total of eight under 138 at the Pakalane Golf Estate Hotel Resort, while the golf South Africa boys combined for a second successive 16 under 200 to keep the hunt for the 21st consecutive victory on track. Houdeng's Kairu Moodley fired a six under 67 to lead the golf South Africa girls, while Egurleni Pei, Kathleen McNabb, and Kira Floyd both posted rounds of 71. That's your sport news this hour.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, a governorship election in six Nigerian states declared inconclusive and King as President Uhuru Kenyatta meets his French counterpart Emmanuel Macron in Nairobi. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzura Magaza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Wiseman Mangele and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Ismail Lowe with the song titled Jamo Africa. Africa.